We're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, diversions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Good evening. Welcome to Regeneration. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we cherish it here, and we really value what you have for us. So, Lord, we ask for uh, your blessing upon this evening, that as we go through this, that your heart comes forward. We know that, Lord, you are not coming with a spirit of judgment and condemnation when Jesus is in there. But there's the flip side to that, that there is condemnation and judgment when Jesus is not present with us. And so, Lord, we ask for this evening that your heart would come through, that people would see your love and grace for them. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been um, a few weeks, I think three weeks ago, since we've taken a look at the book of Galatians here. So I just want to do a really quick recap of what Christian freedom is, because if we're looking at the theme for the book of Galatians, it would be freedom. And so... Let me just do a really quick recap of what we've done in the past several months. And if there are questions in regards to what I'm talking about, please just go back to iTunes and all the teachings are in there and and you can listen to them there. And I'm sorry I can't go into deeper explanation of things that I'm just breezing through because we've just kind of already done that. But the freedom we have in Jesus has boundaries. It's not uh, free for all. It's freedom from sin, but it's not freedom to sin. Nor is it religious legalism. It's not this trade from this bondage to the flesh to a bondage to religion. Christian freedom through love serves one another. It's not selfish and it's not self-absorbed. It sets us free from ourselves. And our freedom in Jesus Christ has a part in fulfilling the entire law of the Bible. That God's law is a guideline to Christian living. Now, going to either extreme, whether it's religious legalism or it's this freedom, free-for-all, no-limits living, both ends of the spectrum are disastrous things. And we'll see how a Christian life without godly boundaries leads people to justify their works in the flesh in the verses that we're going to look at this evening. And you'll see, starting in verse 19, it's just a life of chaos, it's a life of disaster, unruliness, destruction. And Paul describes it in verse 15 as like a pack of wild animals just cannibalizing each other. So our Christian freedom, firstly, is manifested with boundaries where we exercise self-control. Two, that through love we serve one another. And three, we are obedient to the word of God, not out of obligation, but adoration to the law of God. And it's not just these religious external acts for good moral behavior. It's internally transforming our hearts and we live according to God's laws out of love. Okay? We know what Christian freedom looks like based off of the past several months of teaching, but how are we to live within boundaries through love, serving one another, 
being obedient to his law out of love and not out of obligation. How is all that done? And so that's our text this evening. Now, why does it seem that too many Christians are living a life of defeat rather than living a life of victory? And I think our text this evening kind of covers this because I think there's a serious misconception of what walk by the Spirit means. And so starting in verse 16, Paul wrote, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I taught a series on the Holy Spirit several months ago, and I encourage you to listen to that series to learn something new or for review, because that's going to go into more depth, more than what I can cover this evening, and it's all in that background. You can find that all in iTunes as well. See, we don't stop learning. And we apply what we learn. And so what is this walk by the Spirit? What does that mean? It's living a Spirit-filled life. And, and better yet, when the Holy Spirit is overflowing out of your life, where you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, and there's a specific teaching on that in that series. It's living a life not ruled by your flesh, but you are led by the Holy Spirit. It's a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, not weakened by your worldly flesh. Some of you may be disciples of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is actually quite foreign to you. Where some of you may be like the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, when Paul asked the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is what they said. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And perhaps you've heard of the Holy Spirit, but you're not living by the Spirit. And I think this is quite a struggle for Christians especially with different thoughts about what the Holy Spirit is and isn't, and because there's this argument to be made by some non-Christians and even some Christians who don't believe the Spirit is active in our world today, we call them cessationists, that those people, we find they're actually more moral than Christians. That the people that actually don't believe in the Holy Spirit, the people that aren't Christians, are sometimes even more moral than Christians, just like the Judaizers of the days in the Galatians. And there are instances where this is absolutely true, where we do know some non-Christians who are more moral than Christians. But I would like to propose that perhaps that is more of a life of legalism and lived out of their own flesh, which is still a type of bondage. But it is only the Holy Spirit that transforms, conforms us into the image of Jesus. You see, it's not about just changing our external actions to be more moral, because it's not about behavior modification. God desires a heart change. When the heart changes so that it leads to these different external changes. And what happens when the changes are just external? Well, there can be this intellectual struggle within yourself there where you can attempt to reason why you should or should not follow Jesus. But if you stay in your head, you are missing a big piece of the puzzle, which is this is a spiritual battle. And so I know a lot of people who are at this point that it's more intellectual for them, that they have to figure things out intellectually, but they're neglecting what's happening spiritually. And they're good people. They're smart people. They are really bright. They, they're so bright. They're so smart. But if you only stay in your head for a spiritual issue, you won't get spiritual answers. You're going to get intellectual answers. Right? So at some point, you'll need to venture into a, a spiritual journey. And if you stay in your head, you will be misled to believe you are living 
a Christian life when in actuality you're just living a Christian lifestyle. And that's just a bummer way to live because you're living the lifestyle without the benefits. And so I liken it to like you're married but you don't have sex. That's a bummer. Right? That's just a bummer. And just because you're doing Christian things and behaving like a Christian and living a Christian lifestyle, you have evangelical conservative beliefs about Jesus and even believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and he resurrected on the third day, but that does not mean you're saved. You're just living the lifestyle without the benefits. You're being a poser. Now, is that even a term that's used anymore? Or am I showing my age or something like that, you know? Just because you have the Christian lifestyle does not mean you're a Christian. The devil, the demons, they have evangelical beliefs. Did you know that? They have evangelical beliefs. They know more Christian theology and doctrine than all of us combined. One of them. And so you must be spirit-filled. Because if you are, those things cannot occupy the same space. Right? The spirit and, and this evil, the light casts out the darkness. They can't have the same space. And the Pharisees were very moral people. They're just like the conservative evangelicals of today. They have moral beliefs. They live a certain way. They have this lifestyle. But that is not a relationship with God. And so you look at someone like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. An extremely moral man, a very religious, pious man. But what did Jesus tell him? John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, it's a spiritual work. This guy is super smart. He's a ruler of the Jews. I mean, he knows this law inside and out. He knows the Torah inside and out. He can recite the whole thing. See, it's not these external religious works that transform because this guy is really religious. It's what happens in a person's spirit whether they are regenerated or not. It's a spiritual work that needs to happen in order to see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God through the flesh, through your intellect. It is a work of the spirit. Yes, your intellect is part of it. It is tied to it. It helps you reason. It helps you process. It helps you do your logical kind of processing. But you can't get stuck there. Now there's a misconception about walking by the Spirit when some are actually walking by the flesh. And they're fooling themselves into believing that their walk in the flesh is a spiritual thing when it really isn't. If we are not walking by the Spirit, we can't walk in the Spirit. You're simply just walking in your flesh. So the question to ask yourself is, have you been spiritually regenerated? Have you received the Holy Spirit? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul wrote this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? If you're living the Christian life by works, then you haven't received the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is received by hearing with faith. Now jump over to verse 24 of chapter 5 here in Galatians. And we're going to take a look at this verse more in depth next week. But for now, this is going to be a really helpful verse to help frame the verses that we're going to look at this evening. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh, meaning crucified the sin nature. Now, if you belong to Jesus, you know it. You know it. 
There is no question whether or not you do or do not belong to Jesus because if you do belong to him, you have crucified your flesh. And there is no gray area for this. This is a black and white issue because you know when crucifixion has taken place. Because this hurts. There's no shadow of a doubt whether you've crucified the flesh or not. This is black or white. There's no uncertainty about whether you are the one being crucified. If you are crucifying someone or if you are witnessing crucifixion, you know no matter where you stand in that realm of witness, being crucified, doing the crucifixion, you know whether you are crucifying or not. There's no doubt there. So Paul wrote, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know. And then verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There is a proactive rejection of sin when you belong to Jesus. You have made up your mind that you are going to do an about face to sin when the gospel has grabbed a hold of your heart. Now, does that mean you are sinless? No way. No way. Because the sin nature is still with you. But you are proactively rejecting sin. You are proactively turning away from sin. And you are turning toward Jesus. Your posture is toward Jesus. And you know that sin separates you from God. Therefore, you proactively reject sin. Notice what Paul wrote here in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You notice the tense there. Past tense. Have crucified. See, it's something you've already done. You've already done when you belong to Christ Jesus. It's a posture you've already decided to take. The posture of our flesh, of our sinful nature, is directing us away from Jesus. It's the polar opposite of belonging to Jesus. You want to know what flesh is? I found this really cutesy way to identify what flesh is. And you're going to have to humor me, okay? Because uh, spell it backwards, and you have to add a little twist because we're in Oakland. So spell it backwards, and the H there is Heka, or, or Hella, either one, it's Oakland. And then spell the rest of the word backwards, what does it spell? S-E-L-F. So that's what flesh is. Heka self. It is Heka self. It's a sin nature within all of us to be rebellious towards God, to be Heka self-consumed. It's this heck of self that we have to crucify, right? And belonging to Jesus, those earthly passions, those desires aren't the things that we're enslaved to anymore. We are ruled by godly passions, godly desires. Now, we started out in verse 24 because I think it helps really frame our text this evening as it was a verse presenting to us what happened already, right? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, past tense, the flesh with its passions and desires. Now let's move to the present tense, going to verse 16. But I say, walk, present tense, by the Spirit, then now future tense, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit right now. This is real time. Walk meaning to regulate one's life, to conduct one's self. That's what walk means here. So how do we walk by the Spirit to experience freedom in Jesus? You regulate your life. 
you conduct yourself by the Spirit and to understand what it means to proactively apply it to your life. And this is something that you actively do, that you are participating in doing. Check out verse 25 here. If we live by the Spirit, jumping back down to verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You notice the active verbs there? Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit, not the flesh, for the Spirit to lead. And in walking by the Spirit, we're not aimlessly walking around without a purpose or without a meaning. Walking by the Spirit has purpose. It has meaning for you to live in freedom. It's not, it's not just for a season either. This is a continual state of being. This is just who you are because God wants you to be free all the time, not just for seasons. All the time. Back to verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So as we walk by the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is something that we do. We do something here. Now, our salvation is not earned by anything we do. That is a gift from God. You cannot do anything for that. But that does not mean that nothing is done in response to the salvation gifted to you by God. That doesn't mean that we just sit idle because that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not just sitting idle. We are in partnership with God for his kingdom. And so where he leads, we walk. It's an active thing. See, you and I don't lead, but we walk. So we don't have to go nuts that there's this thing that we have to do to earn our way to God. We don't do that because God's leading. We just walk behind him. You don't have to be burdened with that. We simply walk behind his leading and we don't sit idle doing nothing we walk we are led by the spirit and as we walk behind his leading we are not under the law we don't have this list of a bunch of things to do or not to do and the things we do are according to his leading our life with God is not burdened by the law so Jesus took care of the curse of the law upon himself to remove the impossibility of coming to God based on our own earning and we know that the law does not save. The law actually condemns. The law actually proves how guilty you are. It's not the sanctification process. The law doesn't sanctify us. It doesn't draw us closer to God and make us like God. It doesn't lead us to Jesus. It doesn't conform us into his image. The Spirit does that. But that's not to say that the law is worthless or that the law is useless. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. Verses 2 through 4. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We live in the Spirit as Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by perfectly keeping the law. He took that curse of the law upon himself. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Spirit of God comes to you as nothing else can, including the law. The law couldn't do it either. Even though it can't sanctify, it can't save, there's still an extreme value to it. It points us to Jesus. It points us to a Savior. It instructs us in how we are to live our lives. We don't keep the law for God's acceptance of us, but so that we may live godly lives because we love Him. We, we want to please Him. And, and the law has instructions on how to honor God and to show Him our love. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. What it has become, it's become a love letter. Become a love letter. We live lives led by the Spirit with the law as a guide to Christian freedom in Jesus. That The law becomes a love letter to us with God's guide on how to live free. How to be free. Not enslaved, bonded to something else. So when the law instructs us, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. That's great. Thank God for His wise instruction to us, His love letter to us. Thanks for the guidance to lead me from enslavement to those destructive actions. So let's not fall victim to the extremes. right? Following the law to the extent that it has become the slave owner. That you've just moved from one bondage, bondage of sin, to the bondage of religion. And we don't also move to this other pendulum swing where we're just so loose in our interpretation of the law where anything goes that being a Christian on this side is no different from being a follower of anything else. What's the difference? And so both extremes are not what God intended. What did God intend? To be led by the Spirit. Verse 18. To live by the Spirit. And to keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. And we find His love letter of instruction in His law. See, there's something that you and I have to be really mindful of. There's a war for your soul. There's a war for your soul. And the things evident of living lives of the flesh, those are some of the things found in verses 19 through 21. Now before we get there, I want to lay something out here. And I want to be clear about something. Jesus wins, right? Jesus is the victor. Jesus wins. And since Jesus is the victor, you and I can also be victorious. Paul wrote in verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, you may lose some battles to your sin nature, but you are the victor of the war when you belong to Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. See, you and I, we may lose some sin battles, but you'll win the spiritual war when you belong to Jesus. Now, this is not a reason for us to become arrogant or cocky about our standing and thinking like, oh, you know, Sin, not a big deal. I'm forgiven in Jesus. I'm just going to keep on doing whatever I want to do. Because that sin nature is still in all of us. And it is something that we are to proactively reject. It is something that we are proactively to posture away from and to direct ourselves towards Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so this is going to be a lifelong battle between the willful, sinful nature, your flesh, and your spirit. After you've been born again, that spirit. And this lifelong battle, this is not a sparring match. This is not where you guys put gloves on and you have headgear and a mouthpiece and you, you guys, this is no pads. This is bare knuckles, no holds barred death match. Because either you will die to your flesh or you will spiritually die. This is not like, oh, that's a good round, see you later. And in verses 19 through 21 are the things of our flesh. How we respond to those fleshly appetites decides our actions, and our actions determine our character. Now, there may be some things in this list, starting in verse 19 of the works of the flesh, that you don't struggle with at all. It's not a big thing to you at all. But there are others where you're right in the middle of the battle right now. And you're dealing with those things right now. And so whenever you have a battle approaching, know that you can be victorious, that there is hope in your victory in Jesus, and he has given you his Holy Spirit, he's given you a church community, he's given you your support structure, whatever that may be, to help you to be victorious. And so as a church community, it's not really anything that we can do, it's more about who we point you to, because we're going to point you to Jesus. We're going to point you to the Word of God. We are going to pray for you. We're going to intercede for you in a spiritual way. And then whatever tangible things that we can do for you, we're going to attempt to do that. But the primary help is going to be God. And you will be victorious with the Spirit, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to experience defeat ever in the flesh, because you will. You and I will experience defeat. There will be times we experience sin, but we are not to make a practice of it. We are not to make a habit of sinning. And once you make a practice of it, once you have a habit of sin, your sinful appetite is continually fed and it grows and it grows in strength. And that appetite gets larger when you stop feeding it. And it is more and more difficult to overcome. And it has enslaved you and kept you in bondage. And the more you have that, the more you need God. The more you need Jesus, the more you need the community to come around you and pray for you, intercede for you, and help you however they can. So what are these evident works of the flesh? What are these things that we are to avoid? Let's start in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All three of these things have to do with sexuality. Sexual immorality, the first one on the list. This is in reference to illicit sexual intercourse. And the Bible uses the same Greek word, porneia, where we get our English word pornography, to describe all these different things that I'm going to list for you. And you can find them all in the New Testament. You can plug it in to some search, porneia, and it'll show you all these things, describing to you what sexual immorality is. And so I'm going to list them for you. It's used to describe adultery, fornication, and for those of you who don't know what fornication is, it is sex between two people outside of marriage. Marriage. You're either married or you're not, right? There's no gray area there, right? So fornication is either the black or the white side. Like, there's no gray side. 
okay? And so it's not we love each other a lot or we're both consenting adults or we're in a serious relationship or we're engaged or we live together or one second before you do your vows and you exchange rings. That's fornication. And the reason why I'm kind of camping out here a little bit is because I've had people at the church debate me on premarital sex. And so I show them where it is and they still debate me and they claim that that's not what fornication means. But that's what it means. Right? It's just any sex between two people outside of marriage. Along with this list comes these other things. Homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, incest, and sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. Those are all under that heading. The second one is impurity. This is in reference to the impurity of lustful, reckless living. And next is sensuality, which is unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lewdness, that which is erotic, sexually indiscriminate, morally shocking, shamelessness, insolence. So all three of these things so rampant in our world. And we expect that. I mean, we expect that. That's nothing surprising at all. But keep this in mind of who Paul was writing this to, who the audience was. See, see Paul wasn't writing to non-Christians, non-believers. Paul is writing to the Christian church. He's writing to the Galatian churches. So don't go out there Bible-thumping people, telling them what to do, what not to do, what is sinful. They're not Christians. Paul is writing this to Christians, and this is not addressed to non-Christians. And every Christian man in here listening to this message, you know, as well as I do, all these three things. Right? You don't have to play ignorant with me because I'm one of you. Right? We know these three things. And so some people have told me that premarital sex is not in the Bible. And so I asked them what the definition of fornication is. Because that's what it is. It's sex outside of marriage, and it's a sin. It's a work of the flesh. And so don't get mad at me about it. This is God's word. It's not like I'm creating this. I'm just interpreting what's in God's word. I did not write this stuff. And I'm not being holier than thou here at all. Because I am not exempt from these battles of sin. Especially when it comes to sexuality. I'm just like any other man. I have the same battles as you do. So I'm in the same boat as you. I'm in the same mess that you are in. But this is God's word, and I have to tell you the truth. The truth that applies to me just as it applies to you. So please don't take this message as me coming down or condemning you, or because it's not a message created by me. I'm looking at Galatians chapter 5 here. I'm just interpreting what it says. Because to tell you the truth, my flesh bucks at the word of God just like anybody else. right? But the spirit and the word of God is really clear. Right? There, there's this pool between the flesh and the spirit. And my flesh is always wanting to buck against the spirit. Always. Right? I can't tame that thing. He's crazy. Right? Verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery. Now, idolatry and sorcery are in reference to religions created by man. Right? Idolatry is the worship of false gods. Sorcery is in reference to witchcraft or necromancy, you know, like palm reading, tarot cards, things like that, ancestor worship. And in the Greek, the word here is pharmakeia, which is where we get the word pharmaceutical in our English language. And so that's in reference to the use or the administration or ministering of drugs. 
which is so often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it, where, where drugs have become the god of people, that they will do anything to serve that god. Again, this is addressed to Christians to reject idolatry, sorcery, religions created by man. Then we move on to the rest of the list, verses 20 and 21. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All of the things here in verses 20 and 21, these are in regards to relationships. Now, how many of us just read through those verses without applying each one to ourselves? Because, you know, when you just kind of read through things, you just kind of read through those words. But I encourage you to pause and to think about each one of those words and to see if those are things that apply to you. Because sometimes you just read past them and they just go by you. The first one, enmity. This is hostility. This is hatred. And this is one of those things that I have to confess to you that I struggle with. I can be hostile. And yes, I'm getting better at this, and I'm a lot better than I used to be about this, but it's there, and I have a longer fuse, but it's still there. Strife, this is contention, right? This is being contentious. Those argumentative people that you're around, you know, those really, really pleasant people that you like being around all the time, those people, right? And here we have jealousy, and you know that one, right? And if you don't know that one, and maybe you're experiencing that now because maybe you're jealous of everyone else's knowledge that you don't have. I don't know. Fits of anger. You know that boiling within yourself, right? And then you just blow up. And maybe you don't know what this is, but I do. Right? This is the quick-tempered and you just blow up. And another thing that I struggle with, rivalries. A desire to put oneself forward, right? This is that heck of self thing. Dissension, opposing people, being disagreeable. Now, this is like strife, except that strife is more in your face, while these people are more passive. This is where passive-aggressive people camp out. They shut you down verbally, or they give you different looks, or they have a different behavior around you. They put up walls, and they have different obstructions that they put up, and they show you one thing on the surface, but something else is really happening elsewhere. These are the people that unfriend you without talking to you on Facebook, right? They just unfriend you. It's, it's those type of people. Or they don't include you in something when you were a part of their life, and they have something, and then they don't include you in that anymore. They just kind of like dismiss you without saying anything about that. Divisions, actively separating, envy, right? coveting, wanting what somebody else has, drunkenness, orgies. I don't have to describe those things. Now, if Paul left anything out, he includes this. And things like these. If I forget anything, and things like these. Because I don't know what technology is coming in the future. I don't know what kind of print media you guys are going to have to deal with. I don't know any other... And things like these, I'm just going to wrap it all up together. If I forget anything, things like these, all evident works of the flesh and sinful nature addressed to Christians. But there's hope in Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the questions for us are, how are we loving each other? How are we living? Are you making a practice of sin? Now, we're all going to experience sin, but are you habitually sinning? See, God doesn't expect perfection from us. There's only one who's perfect, Jesus Christ. But once we are free from the bondage of sin by Jesus, it's their evidence of that regeneration, that transformation. Are you making a practice of sin? And if you are, it needs to be addressed. Jesus wants to set you free from that enslavement. And whatever sin has you in bondage, Jesus can set you free from that. Now maybe you're questioning whether you are or not making a practice of sin. And there are some helpful things that you can think through to figure that out. One of those things is to ask yourself, is there a pattern to your sin? Are there certain things that trigger the sin that happens in your life? And if you really don't know, you can just ask God to identify those things that you don't know, and He is going to let you know. Ask God to provide you with safe people from a community that can encourage you to live a life of righteousness. And so that's what church is for. That's what small groups are for. That's what close friends and family, that's what they're there to do for you. And so if there is a pattern of sin in your life, if there's a habit to your sin, then you're making a practice of sin. See, the life of a Christian is not perfection. We're not going to be free from sin, at least not in this world. Now, it's a freedom from the wages of sin. Just because we are saved and we don't suffer the consequences does not mean that we don't proactively reject sin, that we hold a posture away from sin and towards Jesus, and we don't make a practice of sin. We are to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The victorious life in Jesus. Verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's having Jesus with you continually all the time. Making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's no compromise. And every time you reach a place to choose between that of the flesh or that of the Spirit, choose wisely. Choose righteousness. 
the things spoken about this evening really aren't things that I would ever choose to speak about. The first message of the new year, you think I want to talk about Galatians 5? I mean, get serious, really? I mean, I'd much prefer to talk about things that are less controversial, right? And, and that makes everybody happy, like hope or grace or love. Like, what a way to start the new year, right? Let's talk about sin, guys. Like, this is not a way to grow a church, right? I'd really like to preach about something less controversial. I'm not the type of person that wants to throw the Bible at people and tell you how to live and all this kind of stuff. That's just not me. But the thing is, is that these are necessary things to talk about because they are in the Bible. So I have no choice because I just teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and whatever comes up is what comes up. And so our first 2014 message is this. Thank you, God. But you know what? On the other hand of it is I thank God that he doesn't skip things and the things that are valuable to him, he presents to us. And so that's why when we study chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I have to talk about it. I can't just skip over it or ignore it. These are things that are important for us to understand. And it's not to preach about things that I think are pertainable to us or important to us or, or that the world thinks are important to us. It's God's word that is important to us. And for us to understand, no matter how controversial or unacceptable they are to our world. And so when we look at these verses, the questions to ask ourselves are, do you belong to Jesus? Not do you belong to a religion, not do you belong to a church, but do you belong to Jesus? Have you crucified the flesh? Because you'll know. Are you led by the Spirit in all aspects of your life, whether it's relationships, job, career, ministry, finances, time, all those different things in your life? Just to ask yourself those questions. May the Spirit of God fill you, molding you, conforming you into the image of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And sometimes it is harsh, sometimes it is controversial, sometimes it is something that is unpleasant to us, but yet it is your word. And we are not to change it or to take it out of context. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be loving because it's not our job to judge or to condemn. And so, Lord, help us to be a loving community that encourages, supports people to live godly lives that are pointing to you, that proactively reject sin, that are postured towards you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.